0: Hello and welcome to a special edition episode of Deep Dive with Vanessa M'day. Wait, that doesn't sound like Vanessa. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Amanda Rosenberg. I'm Vanessa's producer, who's been here since day one. And I wanted to do a special episode related to the moments of the podcast that have impacted me the most. You see, there's a lot growing in the show. There's a lot going in the show. And I wanted to mark this moment in history because she and I have fought for this. This show that we made out of love one day after grabbing some lunch together and vibing because people thought we would like each other. (laughs) And then we did. So what I want to give you are... In no particular order, in a very particular order, I want to give you the moments that really mean something to me. First, I want to start with episode one. One, one, one. Girl, child. You see, at first, Vanessa was going to write a poem for every single episode because I was obsessed with how she writes. She is a beautiful writer. And this poem specifically, when I heard her say it, I went, this woman is good. And this project is going to be fun. Here it is.
1: Check the box, male or female. With pride, I check female, a pride that is derived from beating the odds. They say we are inferior, or rather, they program us to feel inferior. And yes, I should feel inferior, when culturally, I'm at a disadvantage. I come second to my male counterparts at every chance the oppressor, the programmer, is availed the opportunity to prove his point. I've seen the look in many timid faces of my sister girls many times when they have been placed in submission. Even worse, when we condone this position. But no, not me. In the words of Eleanor Roosevelt, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. So I decline every time you put me in line to be your underlying feeling. I refuse your projection. I am girl, girl is me, nurturer, mother, leader, not what you expect me to be.
0: Ugh, wasn't that incredible? And I cannot get enough of Vanessa's voice. I'm on the other side of that microphone, in all of her voice's buttery goodness, enjoying myself completely. Now, between season one and season two... There was a year, even more, honestly, of hard work to get this show published. There were a lot of naysayers and myself, I'm in the U.S. And that was even harder with the distance. But after we recorded the first six episodes, which this queen did in a week (laughs) or three days, I think. Goodness, that was a long time ago. <laughs> this queen was amazing. But anyway, all right, I digress. I published this show because I really believed in it. And when we finally landed that network and could move forward and make season two, we were so excited. <laughs> the first episode we ever recorded was actually episode two in season two. It's that solo Vanessa episode. It's our first time back together, and Vanessa hits me with that moment that had me crying on the other side of the mic. And Vanessa's strength and vulnerability is something I will always be proud and put on a pedestal. So here it is for you, the second most impactful moment of Deep Dive for me, one-on-one with Vanessa.
1: The last time we recorded Deep Dive with Vanessa M. Day, you might not know it, but we had actually held on to the content for quite some time and only released it several months after we recorded it. And I gotta thank my amazing producer, Amanda, who made this possible. Really, really. Because podcasting was a new concept for me. I'd never done it before. It was something that my team thought I'd be great at as a on-air personality once upon a time so
2: when we recorded our season one i have to tell you i was dying inside i'm going to try and be not so emotional but it is my truth you see I am a world-renowned entertainer, and I've had a fantastic journey. It's a few days to my 32nd birthday, and
1: I've had an amazing life. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that I was living my truth. I I would lie to you if I said that everything you saw was what it was. I struggled tremendously with personal issues. And I'm so happy that I faced them. And I'm so happy that I'm here on the other side to tell you my story. So lean in a little closer and let me take you on a little journey. I'm going to try and dry my tears so we can talk through this. (laughs) In 2007, I won an amazing contest, MTV VJ Search. My dad had died a few months prior. My mother was a struggling single, single, parent, a single mother. I don't think you call her a single parent at that point, point, but she was a widow who had several kids that she had to take through school. And I, I think you all know this story if you followed up on my life a little bit. What I knew was the opportunity was a life changing opportunity for me. So I jumped into it. Guns blazing. I was so excited that I had won. A Continental Search to be the face of MTV, the very first one from my country. And as much as I had never imagined a future in broadcasting, I had definitely dreamt it as a young woman who grew up watching TRL and 106 and Park and part of the urban culture. We all watched our favorite music videos being counted down by these cool on-air personalities. And I thought that would be a great job. So it was my moment. I won that, and I was very happy. Not only that, it was a ticket out of my situation at the time. I hated the degree I was studying, but I had to do it because it was my father's dream, and I wanted to fulfill something for him. So I did it, and I went through that. Now... Let me tell you what I thought this journey as an on-air broadcaster, on-air personality would be. I thought it would be glitz and glam and travel and money and luxury and everything that you desired or thought you understood about being an on-air personality and being front and center on the most popular TV show and on one of the most popular television networks in the world. It was absolutely the contrary. I moved into that space knowing the industry as one thing and quickly discovered it to be a whole different monster. The entertainment industry is everything you want it to be because they sell it as it should seem. But in the background, it is a mess. And I learned that firsthand. Now, don't get me wrong. It was an amazing opportunity to learn and to dive into this incredible career as an on-air personality and to, you know, at 18, 19, go to the hottest parties, host the hottest shows and be on television and, you know, hang out with the biggest celebrities in the world. I thought I had hit the jackpot, but I quickly found out contractually, actually, after the year that they were obliged to put me on television, they didn't have to do it anymore. So here we are. Big name, continentally known, occasionally on the television, but
2: honestly, truly was miserable.
1: I had to fight to get 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes of airtime. Not only because I was far from the hub, the hub being South Africa at the time, I lived In Tanzania. So I would have to pay my own money to be in South Africa so I could be around the office, so I could be put in the productions. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't complain. I would do the job. And, you know, I quickly realized that you have to fend for what you want. You know, this is the world. Now, I don't need a pity party. That was my school for me. And I I truly believe that I'm a graduate of the school of, you know, learned everything the hard way in the entertainment industry. Fast forward to a few years later, I start my on air career on radio. And I'm just a little older. Mind you, I never got the chance to go back home. Really, to go back to my mother's house. I left after college and I never went back. I would visit her. She would see me occasionally. And every time she would see me, she was unhappy with my career choices. She didn't support it. You need to understand that my mom is a traditional African woman. A Christian. Not only that. She's a pastor. And to her and her faith, I was in a secular industry and I, you know, I was doing everything that was against what she believed. So, as a mother, she supported the best way she knew how. God bless her. I love her so much for everything that she did. The one thing that we didn't have enough of was a great line of communication. Now, mind you, at 18, 19, 20, 21, I think I know it all. I think I'm grown. I think I understand the world. I feel like nothing can go wrong, really. I feel invincible. I feel like everybody knows my name. So I must be doing something right. Now, honestly, I was. I was hosting the biggest red carpets on the continent, traveling from country to country, experiencing what most 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds would consider a great, great, great life. And
2: yes, It was. But the truth is, I was completely lost and not present. The fun would last for the
1: few minutes or hours that it would last, and after which, I would go into a
2: deep, 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 dark hole. And I was searching, searching for those moments at every chance I
1: could get. Now you need to understand that when you build a brand and it looks so good from the outside, you have to keep it up, even at the expense of your own sanity. I slowly started to realize that I was going through serious anxiety. I would have several panic attacks. At shows. I remember having one at an award show, at an MTV award show. And thank God for my girlfriend, Nomuzi, who's an incredible on air personality herself, and a rapper, and a sister, and a friend. She took me by the hand and she said, Snap out of it. The situation was that, and I'm going to bring you into this world a little bit. When you're nominated for a major award and you get your fans to rally up and vote for you, you dream that. It is as is because you feel like you deserve it, right? Everybody who's on the list deserves it, right? What had happened was the seating arrangement was done so that the winner would be closest to the podium. As I approached my seat, the usher, accidentally, maybe, I'm sure it was accidental, showed me the winner of my category. And I walked. And ushered me to my seat, which was two rows behind the first row. Now, you can only imagine what it feels like as a young entertainer to walk into that space. Mind you, now this is fast forward to when I'm doing music. <laughs> so you can only imagine what it felt like for me, having rallied up all my fans and worked tirelessly
2: to to, to get what I thought was what I needed. An award to show for all the hard work. Honestly,
1: at a later point, I did win the award. Not that night, but, you know, later on in my career, whatever. And guess what? When I won it, I still felt like shit. It was great for the moment. It was great while it lasted. It felt amazing in that time. And I'm only giving you this example to give you an example of what it really, really is. And I'm giving the example of an award because maybe that's the easiest one that I can give. I need to explain to you that as a woman in the entertainment industry, in the music industry, the challenges are (sighs) so, so, so many. And I don't want to say this as an inferior being? Absolutely not. I am a powerful, strong, smart, talented, blessed human being. And I don't take no for an answer. I walk in through that door, not calling myself female artist, but artist, period. But I do understand that the cards that women are dealt are very different in the industry. Very, very different from the cards that men are dealt. I've for the most part, been an independent artist. I was signed to a label earlier on in my career that lasted three months, but then I developed my own label and I worked my way from win to win, from single to single, song to song, release to release, tour to tour. We did that all by ourselves. Now, you need to understand, this is usually funded by major labels for the normal artist, for everything that you see for everything that is in front of your screen there is an incredible amount of money that is injected for it to get to where it is not be it television be it radio be it social media whatever it may be now mind you as an independent you have a budget that's set out for each and every single thing and in my case I was the label. I was the artist. I was the singer, songwriter, dancer. Thank God for my glam squad, because I would look a whole mess if it wasn't for the lovely Diana who said to me at a good stage in my life that you need to drop this tomboy act and get your hair right and your nails right and your face done. Thank God for her. She really did come in and, you know, do wonders for my brand. God bless the ladies in our in our lives who do these extra things that they don't even know that they're doing that really make the difference. Anyway, I realized that one year down the line, two years down the line, three years down the line, four years down the line, it felt like a spin cycle and an endless rabbit hole. So, say for example, and I'm going to speak for artists on the continent of Africa. You get called for a gig, and we're basically talking about Hostings and shows. that's where you'll make your most money, aside from endorsements. So I'll give you a small example of, for example, a show. So you're charging I'll say $1,000 dollars because I don't want y'all to count my money now. <laughs> so say, for example, <laughs> we charge a1,000 dollars for a show. You set out for the show, right? So it's $1,000 dollars for the booking. You have a team. The team consists of a manager, sometimes a road manager. Dancers, in my case, I'll speak for myself, hair and makeup, styling. What else, girls? What else do we do? <laughs> no, but as an, uh, so you have your manager, role manager, dancers, hair and makeup, styling. I haven't even factored in my lawyer, my accountant, so on and so forth. So, mind you, there's taxes to be paid there too. And $1,000, I have to pay this whole team. Mind you, this is the same amount of money that I need. To go by my day-to-day activities.
0: I mean, that was a wave of powerful emotion. She is, she is really incredible. You hear me right now, Vanessa? <laughs> uh, that set the bar for season two. And wh- where do you go with that? You know, it's it's so powerful. You got to keep that vulnerability that desire for self improvement that you know willing to shine the light on those monsters in the closet and next came faith Kangaro. and faith's episode for me had this moment where she walked us through two different exercises that they use for people in who've gone through serious traumas and I'm going through, you know, my whole transition and change. Vanessa is going through her transition and change. So this moment with Faith Kangaro was incredible for self-reflection. And I want to walk you back through it again. Here we are, Faith Kangaro.
3: With social work, there's two models that I would highly advise everyone to use in their personal self-reflection time, which is very important. Self-reflection and self-care, I think, should be scheduled, just like how you schedule your other things in your life, in your calendar. Um, So one thing that we get our clients to do that I think is very much applicable to everyone is when you're thinking about your attachment style or your resilience or your trauma, and you're trying to unpack it, or even if you you don't think you have it, I think it's a good activity, or I should say reflective activity um, to do is to think about your triggers. So everyone has triggers, whether you believe that you're traumatized or not. So everyone gets angry. Everyone um, gets frustrated. Everyone has outbursts. And then after you're like, what was that? That came from nowhere. And you can't really kind of track down where that came from. So we do this thing called, it's like an activity where you kind of figure out your attachment, your resilience and your trauma. And day to day, you need to think about the last time you got angry and kind of exploded. And then you need to think about what triggered you. And then you need to think about what belief or value did this represent to you? And be very honest with yourself because you'll realize every time you have an outburst, where, and especially in your relationships, there's usually an underlying deeper rooted issue. And it could simply be, be that that's just how you saw people deal with life. And if that's the case, that's fine. But why did they deal with life like that? What was the like external outside things happening? Was it financial stress? Um, Was it emotional stress? Was it psychological stress? Was it, I guess, medical as well is a big one that I think in our culture is completely overlooked. But if your medical needs are not being met, that can actually traumatize you. If your financial needs are not being met, that can traumatize you. So trauma is a word, I think, just like how social work is thrown around and people don't really know what that means. It's the same with trauma. We all have some form of trauma. So it's not just children who are in care. I think everyone walking around has some form of trauma from their childhood. Um, and then you need, to, so from that, you can actually build strength. So if you're traumatized, it's not the end of the world. You can bring uh, build strengths from that. So one thing that you can get, well, you can sit down during your reflection time is different questions you can ask yourself. So there's the scaling question. So if this is where I'm at right now, so if this is how bad I explode, and this is the reason why, what can I do? How bad is it? So is it a one to 10? And if it's a three, what can I do to get it to an eight? And then once you get to an eight, and it's about being realistic. So once you get to an eight, what can I do to get to a 10? And and, everyone, and everyone's scale will look different. And you need to own that. And I don't really think you ever arrive at 10. Um, because as you go by life, you will get new triggers. So that's why this is something you need to constantly do. Your attachment style, as well, is very important, which I think in our culture is something that is not seen, not heard, not talked about, and it's actually a taboo to talk about it. So, physical affection, as well. Um, Our culture, we don't have that whole touch and, you know, mushy, fluffy, I love you all the time, like we see with our like counterparts. Um, So, one thing I did when I went. Um, through counselling was this beautiful uh, program called the circle of security and the circle of security is you imagine a, um, a circle and there's two hands in the circle and those hands are basically your parents and the top of the circle is the secure um it's the it's where what's what's the term it's so it's basically where your child learns independence and through that is you let your child go out and explore And while they're exploring, they will still need you to comfort them, encourage them and, you know, just kind of allow them to be safe, but without interfering and all of that. And our culture tends to stick to that circle where there's no picking up your child and, you know, cuddling with your child, playing with your child or organizing your child's feelings for them. And then the bottom of the circle is where your child will come to you and seek comfort and seek you to organize your feelings. And that's the dependent part. And so the circle is complete when we have both independence and dependence. But our culture really emphasizes on the independent part, which is great, but it's incomplete without the dependency. And that's why we can't be emotionally regulated. We can't be... um, positive or like our our attachment is very dysregulated or it's very, it's either we're too clingy or we're very, very like separated from the people that we should actually be very attached to. So there's no healthy attachment.
0: Yeah, so this episode really highlighted to me that I was savagely in the thick of my own personal transformation. And I was really grateful for those exercises. I still do them. And it's definitely been making a change. The next big change in me personally came from Nomuzi. I was really interested in Nomuzi because Vanessa has referenced her often as being bites of wisdom and bites of support. And I was really excited to meet her. She delivered, by the way, with. Her hair, her nails, her lipstick, her jacket, and the roses next to her were all the same color of pink. So that's one fierce queen for you. She had a lot of little pieces that really moved me. So I want to bring to you just a few bites from that episode where Vanessa brings up advice that Nomuzi gave her. And Nomuzi, for me, really solidified and made tangible the effects of social media and what it was having on me. And that's why I find this part to be really impactful.
1: You don't remember this. I'll tell you something you once told me when we were VJing. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: I had just gotten, you know, my my music was getting big and people, someone had leaked my number on Facebook, my WhatsApp number. And so... (laughs) And so I started getting random text messages from almost everybody and anybody. And my response to it, which was extremely naive and foolish, was I was like, "Um, yeah, but some of it is business or, you know, you said, Vanessa, this is direct connection to your energy at any point in time.
4: Do you remember saying this to me? I do.
1: I do. I do. Everybody who texts you. that hasn't asked for your number you haven't personally given your number to you have to protect your energy and that's what i felt in that moment i was like oh my god my energy my energy my energy and because i'm so not in that space anymore my energy was like i felt like i was suffocating literally so what came from being hours on instagram and social media is now zero hours on social media unless i'm doing something
4: that is so wild i was so wise back then Hey. We still are,
1: but yeah. I just I needed to throw back for you something you said to me that was really powerful. Yeah. And it's so, "How do you think a person who doesn't have doesn't know that they are necessarily per se exposing their energy to that? How do they deal with that? And how do they identify that?"
4: I think you really feel it physically. You know, after some time, you literally feel it, even emotionally. You feel it spiritually. It's almost like a tiredness. It's like you mm. just feel drained you feel like a juiced orange. Do you know what I mean? Nothing feels good. Everything just feels like, oh, everything just makes you want to roll your eyes. Everything just feels like, oh, people are so stupid and people are so annoying. That is a good time to put the phone down. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's also a very good time to like filter your timeline. I mean, obviously it's 2020. It's impossible to like absolutely mute every single word that you don't want to see and like, filter your timeline completely but you can to a large degree dictate exactly what is on your timeline you know even the same way there's algorithms and they pick up the things that you like and that's what will be on your explore page or whatever the case may be it's so important to just only plug into things that register with you that bring you lights that bring you even if it's just like a funny page like a good funny page not i'm laughing at other people kind of a funny page um <laughs> you know, if if it brings you light, if it brings you happiness, if it, if it makes you feel better, or even just, okay, that's cool. But I think too many people are plugged into stuff that just makes them feel bad. And after some time, they also become that badness. They become that that ugliness that they say they are not and they hide it behind. That's just my opinion. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What are you causing? I think another thing that's that people forget on social media and in life is that everything that we do is like a, we're, we're casting. like our words have so much power. Do you know what I mean? Not only in, in the way that we speak, yes, the tongue is most powerful, but we've lost the power of the tongue. And now it's all about the fingertips, you know, and right. are so much hatred and they don't realize that they are casting negativity. Yes. That's why why writing words is called
1: spelling. You're Uh casting spells. You're Uh spelling. Mm. You know what I mean? And people forget that all the time. And the thing about this thing called the World Wide Web is once it's on there, it never goes away.
0: Yeah, after this episode, I actually got a feature on my phone that time checks how often I'm on certain social media platforms. And it's made me rethink my time and my aimless scrolling and being on without purpose. So thank you, Muzi. You actually have, because of this episode, I have cut down my social media in more than half. I mean, that's, you know, and my body feels good for doing it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the next big impactful moment for me comes from Pearl Thusi. Now, Pearl's episode was so full of zeal and energy and excitement. She's incredible. She is a force of a woman, let me tell you. There is, though, this tiny little moment in that episode when talking about excellence, where Vanessa talks about the excellence prayer that she and Ro do now. And I feel no matter where you are in religion, spirituality or not, or whether you're into prayers or mantras, I found this tiny moment of self-identifying excellence as an expectation to be really important and have, in fact, added it as a mantra in myself. So this is a daily practice now for me because of this moment.
3: It's important to create our own spaces of excellence. Yes, it's very
1: important. And one of the prayers that me and Ro pray all the time is that, God, please give us the spirit of excellence. The spirit of excellence will put you in a place that is so far off, so far detached from what is understood to be normal or understood to be typical or to, uh, you know, you're just autonomous as an excellent person. And the conversation is not in comparison to which is a big sickness in our society as well, or in, um, relation to, you know what I mean? So all these things are very important to have, you know, to speak on because what will happen from these situations or have happened in the past is that we breed fear in the lives and in the minds of young developing humans or the people, the generations to come And fear is crippling. And it's not, God didn't design humans to be fearful. That is the devil's, the devil, the Mm -hmm. devil brings fear. God doesn't, Amen. we, we weren't, no, it's not, it's not God's work.
0: You know, little, little tiny things can make big differences. And constantly throughout doing this podcast, I have these tiny little things that have created radical change in my life. It's been awesome while I myself am going through transitions and changes and the like. But the biggest change in Vanessa's life is Timmy. And while I was fighting up what I could in the U.S. to get this show done and made and out there, and while Vanessa was shedding her scales and I was shedding my scales and we both could finally come back together as even stronger women, we both had these great men in our lives who Loved the shh out of us. And I was excited to meet Road Timmy. If I'm going to give you a secret story, here you go. I hadn't seen Vanessa in over a year and a half. And we were meeting. We were not meeting. We were seeing each other. Finally, she was in L.A. I was so excited, obviously pre-COVID. And I had four cups of coffee, no food, It's Los Angeles and couldn't find parking. So, you know, I'm like getting excited and frustrated and I'm hyped. (laughs) And when I saw her, I felt like a child again. I was so excited to see her and start this show up again. And for how many no's and rejections I got to finally get a yes and see her and have it be real, I was... Feverish. Let me go with that word. I was vibrating. I was feverish. I was like a six-year-old girl who finally sees her best friend again or something like this. And I'm like, ah. And that's that was Ro Timmy's first impression of me, by the way. <laughs> so for a man who's so butter smooth and graceful and grounded, uh I was very aware of the impression I was making, but gosh, I was just excited. So here is our our first episode with Roe, where he was constantly impressing me, constantly. I'm like, this is a good man. This is a great guy. And in this moment, this man converted me. <laughs> I am a convert. I don't just know they're good for each other. I believe they're good for each other. Here's that moment.
2: If you have a strong woman The worst thing you can do is try to keep her from being strong and keep Mm -hmm. her from doing what she's meant to do. The fact is you need to nurture her gift, push her to do whatever it is that she wants. That insecurity stuff, that means you don't deserve her if you're in a place where you don't want her Mm -hmm. to do what she needs to do. Mm -hmm. And I think support breeds more support. And you both end up
1: winning. Amen. Tell her like it is. I told him, baby. I told (laughs) him. No, um... Well, we could go on forever, you and I, when it comes to the topic about communication and the beauty of it is that we're still learning more and more about each other and discovering better ways to communicate. And, you know, one thing that we've really tackled is real vulnerability versus fake vulnerability and that we've already touched on briefly. It's just we came in headstrong and we were ready to do this. And many factors made this possible, you know, honestly. Mm. But honestly, I appreciate you for being extremely vulnerable mm. in times when even you did not want to be vulnerable and yeah. thought, man, this is pussy. Yeah, I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> what the hell am I doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, you can kick and scream all you want, but you can still do that. It's just yeah. It's just one tier, babe. I said, it's just I'm, one tear. <laughs> one one tear, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that this, this is important. Yeah because the facades will kill you and in communication you find that you find that it is actually nothing yeah. it's actually nothing and this is this is this is, these are the, the the barriers you cross after mm-hmm. you practice great communication you find mm-hmm. that your slippery slippery slopes are not
0: slippery anymore nah, you're just like
2: it was mm-hmm. just an illusion
0: Oh yes, isn't he a dream? He is a dream. I love Ro. Uh, I even watched his solo live concert. If you haven't done that yet, he did a quote—he did a live show without an audience on FanPass, and I watched it. And he is an incredible entertainer. I really think you should go and check that out. But you know. I'm also a little biased because now I'm just totally in love with him. He's fabulous, and I am excited to keep doing more. And from there, that's it. I want to thank you for being a stellar audience. You know, you write your reviews. I sure read them. And I love all the reposting Vanessa does when you guys and ladies write her about the impact that the show has. We're going to keep going. I do want to highlight, per the last episode, that we've made mistakes along the way. There have been hurdles along the way, and there have been more no's substantially than there have been yeses. but we're here because we're making this show out of love. This is the season for love. This show is here because of love, and it is continually made with love for you. And on that, I ask that you share the show with somebody you love, because we're growing this and we're in it together. You're a part of it. There's a big team to make this happen. And that team is you out there. She and I and the guest and the people at Jam Street are doing what we can. (laughs) But this is a team and you're a part of that. Let's all dive deep into ourselves. And thank you, Vanessa, for putting yourself out there to help us be the best versions of ourselves now. Did you love it?
1: Please subscribe and write a review or tell your friend about the show. Find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Vanessa Mday. Thank you to my producer, Amanda Rosenberg, and the team at Jam Street Media. We're having such an amazing time and look forward to coming back next week.
3: Jam Street Media.